Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Man, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. We are in our second uh, part of a conversation that we're having called Secrets to Living Generous. Secrets to Living Generous. And last week we talked about trust and we talked about how important trust is to living uh, generous. I want to give you two verses that I really just, I feel like need to be in your heart as a believer. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 24 through 26 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others... Uh, is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six through seven says, "But I say this: He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he is purposed in his heart." Not grudging, not under compulsion, not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I am so excited that we are talking about secrets to living generous. Uh, Because the truth of the matter is, the believer is called to be generous. The believer is different. The believer is called to be generous. In fact, Corey Timboom said this, the measure of a life is after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Are we li- li- leaving life better than we found it? Are we leaving people, come on, better than we found it? There are many, many key words in the Bible, but let me just give you a, a few of them. Uh, belief. Just the word believe is mentioned 272 times in the Bible, and that's talking about uh, salvation, your confession, just belief. Uh, Prayer is 371 times it is mentioned in the Bible, so there's this idea that God wants you to pray. Um, Do not be afraid or do not fear is mentioned 365 times. I I just think it's uh, so helpful that the Lord would tell us, hey, for every day of the year that you live, you have the opportunity to battle fear and be afraid of something. So I'm going to give you a verse every single day. So that you are not afraid of the next obstacle. You're not afraid of the next transition. You're not afraid of the next move. You're not afraid of how to step and move in faith. You're not afraid. Come on. 365 times. Love. Love is mentioned 714 times. Almost double that of fear. So there's this idea that that while we want to battle our fear, we are called to love twice as much. We are called to love. In fact, there, there's a scripture that, that says, they will know us by our, come on, help me, love. Love. That, that we should be known by our, our love. Money. Come on, money is mentioned 800 times in the Bible. And giving is mentioned 2,161 times in the Bible. That's a lot of talking about giving. My assignment today is this. 
passing the pride test. I believe a secret to generosity is passing the pride test. And we all, at different times of our life, have dealt with and will deal with the pride test. I don't know about you, but I remember being younger, junior high, high school, leaving for an extended time, uh, having a break from school, and there was always that one teacher... Come on, if you're a teacher in the room, I'm not throwing shade, but I'm just saying there was always that one teacher that when everybody was rushing out the door for Thanksgiving break, when leaving for Christmas, they would say, and don't forget Monday, there's going to be a test. Now, let me just tell you this. I was not the person that was like, let me get out my pocket protector. Let me get out my, my whatever app I had, whatever note I had, and let me write that in my schedule because I really want to be studious over the break. No. I left. I didn't think about that test. Oh, come on. One more time. I did not pre. I was free. I was thinking of Pac-Man. Come on, that's where I was. I was thinking of Miss Pac-Man. I was thinking of Contra. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking of like real awesome things, but I was not thinking about how to come back and ace the test. And so, um, you know, uh, I come back in on Monday and the teacher is like, get ready class for our test. And I'm like, Shock and awe. I'm like, how, how and why would you do this to me? Uh, evil, your, the evilness of your, of your, and so I, I really thought that the test and the teacher were my enemies. But really, the test and the teacher revealed areas of pride in my life because it uncovered this idea that I did not want people to know that I didn't know. And so I didn't want to go and study. I wanted to do my own thing and then avoid, come on, any consequences, avoid the fact that I had a test. And I would just tell you that in my immaturity, I didn't understand that my teachers were not trying to expose me. They were trying to prepare me. They were trying to prepare me. A test reveals what you understand. And I would tell you this. Most people do not have a money problem. Most people do not have a church problem. Most people do not have a spouse problem or a job problem or a kid problem. They have a pride problem. If you were really going to dig down deep into all of the areas, you would find pride. Pride is the number one thing that holds back a life of generosity. And I would submit to you today that the secret of becoming generous is passing the pride test. Pride stands in the way of fully surrendering, come on, your life to Jesus. If we, are, if we truly see ourselves as stewards, then the conversation is never how much we give. It's about surrender. See, here's the thing. God doesn't need your money, but we need to give it. God is, God, the Bible says that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And come on, there are many times I'm like, slaughter one of them dudes and send a check. You know what I'm saying? Like, like come on, seriously. Like, God don't need, God does not need your money, 
But there were, were constant times in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God asked for something because he was showing the condition of where we were at, where our heart was at, where his people were at. I think there are three misconceptions believers have about giving. And I want to give you these three real quick. First is this. If we don't talk about it, it'll get better. Now, let me, let me explain this a little bit because I feel like, especially with believers and in the church, we, 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 you know, we close up, we lock up, we put up the wall, defense, because we feel like when the pastor begins to talk about money, it's always self-serving. You're talking about money because we need another wing, we need a paint job, we need this, you want to raise, you need that. You know, like, that's why we're talking about money. But, but here's what you understand is that anything that you avoid in your life never gets better. If we don't begin to talk about our marriage and how we can fix it and figure it out and work on it, if we don't begin to talk about how I can be a better employee and I can get on the same page with my boss, if we don't begin to talk about how I can restore the relationship with our family, this idea of if I just ignore it, it will get better never works out and you can't tell me a time when it has. Because in life you have to address things conversations. There has to be moments. Hey, I was thinking this, you were thinking that. Can we talk about it and get on the same page? Hey, you know what? We need to, we need to, I need to understand where you're coming from because I cannot see your point of view. And so because I cannot see your point of view, I don't have any compassion toward it. But if we could sit down a little bit and we could talk, maybe I would learn something and I would see where you were coming from. Does that, does that make sense? But when we avoid it, nothing gets better. And so this idea that when the church begins to talk about money, it's only this self-serving cycle. Remember, when we started this last week, I, we don't want something from you. We want something for your life. The second misconception is this. If I start to give, I'm going to immediately feel happy. <laughs> no, you're not. You, and I'm just going to tell you this right now. Well, the Bible just said be a cheerful forgiver, so I'm not cheerful, so I ain't giving. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like you know what I'm saying? When, when I start getting happy about what's in my pocket, then I'll start giving. That, that's not the verse. And so here's the concept. Everything that God does for us is process-driven. You get to joy. Here is the process that God will always ask you to walk through. Obedience, sacrifice, testing, testimony, Joy. Joy is never first. It is first the concept of obedience. Will I or will I not? Am I going to go here or am I going to go here? Am I going to submit and surrender and allow my pride to lead? Am I going to do it this way or am I going to do it this way? Obedience. Then obedience is always followed by sacrifice and sacrifice is always followed by testing. Because the enemy does not want you to win. He wants to, come on, steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? Not just you, but the seed of life in you. That's why we just don't have anybody come up here and preach. Because we are in a world where you can download a great sermon and you can get something from YouTube. But here's what I want to tell you. Everybody who's on the dream team, any song that you've ever sung, any life group you've ever led, anything that you've done with kids, everything that you say will be, come on, tested. 
You can't get on the phone and say, well, you know what? God's going to this, 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 and start preaching a sermon to your friend. Click and hang up. In two days, you're like, oh, my God, I wish I never said that. Anybody ever experienced that? Why? Because the enemy comes to steal the revelation that you walk in. He wants to disqualify you. He wants you to feel abandoned. He wants you to feel, and so we don't let just anybody come up here and preach because here's the deal. Your prayer life has to be bigger than what you can dispense because everything, listen, every time I talk about marriage, I got to walk that dude out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I talk about parenting, one of my kids do something, and I'm like, I will ninja chop you. But I can't because I'm supposed to walk in love today. Grace. Come on. It doesn't matter what we talk about. There is a process, obedience, sacrifice, testing, testing, and then testimony. And now if I were going to ask you to raise your hand, there are some people who have been actively tithing, actively giving, and, they, and, 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 and here's the deal. I met three people at, at, at the last service. They came up to me, shook my hand, and said, I, we've been tithing for 20 years, 15 years. And I was like, awesome, awesome. Oh, well, okay. I mean, because once it's a testimony, then there is joy because you've gone through the hard and you know it's going to work. So now I'm not withholding my seed. I know that God has got something new, something bigger, something better. Come on, help me somebody. Something that I do not know and I did not already preconceive and he's doing something. The third is this misconception is that giving gets easier when I make more. No. Giving does not get easier when you make more. You just put more money in the offering, my, my mom passed away um, this last year, and she blessed us with uh, uh, some, some money. And when I brought that tithe and offering, I'm telling you, <laughs> God, if it's not you, stop me and build a wall right now. <laughs> Come on. Like, it, it wasn't like, woo, woo. It was like, ah, ah. And then when I gave it, I was like, high five. It's awesome. It's great. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Like, I was a process. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't get easier the more you make. And here's the idea is that God will continue to bless those who are blessing those. It's not harder or easier to write the check. It's harder. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my status, uh, statues and have, kept, and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How are you saying we're robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Look at this. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me for the whole nation of you. You all need to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing until it overflows. Come on, somebody. I'm kind of in the overflow category. I like overflowing. My, does anybody like overflowing? Come on. 
Y'all acting like, well, we don't need it. You love it. Come on. Who buys a small popcorn when you can get a large? Don't even, don't get religious on me. Listen, my kids start pouring the chocolate milk in the cup. They like it to overflow. I'm like, hey, can we get two glasses? They're like, no, I only want to come one time. Oh, that's so, so, so awesome. It's great. Listen, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground and the vines of the field and, 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 and it will cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed and you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Come on, tell, let me tell you something. Listen, 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 listen to what I'm saying. You are not hearing uh, well. Wealthy, healthy, wise, all the good stuff. Here's what you're hearing. Listen, listen. Here's what you're hearing. There's a devourer that wants to destroy your seed. And God says that I will protect that devourer and the crop will begin to grow. The crop will begin to grow. And I don't know about you, but when people come to Casa Dallas, Dallas I don't even Sexton, how I, I don't know what I'm saying. What did I say? Um, casa de, help me, somebody who speaks Spanish. <laughs> Listen, when they come to the casa, I want them to, well, man, this is so delightful. It's a delightful land here. Sextonville is delightful. Come on, don't you want them to say that about your house, about where you live when they come over? Isn't it delightful? Man, there's so peace here. There's the presence of God here. What's going on with y'all? Why is it different? Wow, there was no big fight. Nobody threw anything. Nobody broke anything. Come on, people didn't get mad and leave early. Come on, does that make sense? Don't y'all want that? Absolutely. Absolutely. A couple things. We're talking about the pride test. First, I think that it's important that in this verse, we're going to unpack it. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. Can I just give you a little theology real quick? God doesn't get better. God doesn't grow. God doesn't develop. God is perfect. For us to surrender pride, we must understand God and we must also understand ourselves. There is no wrong in the Heavenly Father. There is no wrong in the Heavenly Father. And so while God sees every point of view, listen to this, He remains unchallenged. His perspective is the only thing that brings life. God doesn't argue. I really am God. Like we grew up in societies and homes where the parent was arguing that they were in charge and the kids were like, no, no, you're not. I'm not listening. And the kids like, and it's so, so, so dumb. Like why are we arguing about who's in authority? Kids, you don't pay no bills. But the parent is obviously having to prove the fact I'm in charge here. Was that ever debated? God don't want to argue. Listen to what I'm saying. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to argue. He doesn't need, he's not hoping to convince you. God's not a manipulator. Listen to what I'm saying. God is perfect and just and holy and gracious and right. And we choose him. 
we turn from our desires to him. Why is this significant? Because God is the same. God is the same. His thoughts and his standards, listen, do not change. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, even Jesus, it told about Jesus that Jesus Christ is the same, come on, help me, yesterday, today, and consistent. I am consistent. I don't change. Does that make sense? He is the absolute same. Why is this important? Because what I ask you to do, I'm still asking you to do. And I'm not changing regardless of philosophy, concepts, high-sounding nonsense. And now the tithe and offering is not the only debatable issue. We could debate marriage in our culture. We could debate honor. We could debate authority. Well, I can't, I can't honor a president I didn't vote for. And so before we know it, God's people now, we love Jesus because of what he did for us. But for us to really take that to the next level means that we do not try to fit God in our box, but we begin to be moldable and shapeable and we do it his way. Come on, does that make sense? That, that is, in essence, the gospel. Return to me and I will return to you. That's what he says next. Listen, salvation is a complete work. It's a complete work. But we all can drift. All relationships, listen, drift. If, if, if married couples don't work on their relationship, if best friends don't work on their relationship, you're going to drift. And it doesn't matter how close you were five years ago. If you don't connect now, you're not going to be close. All of your friendship is going to be memories. With our relationship with kids and parents. Let me tell you something. The hardest years are those teenage years. Because the teenagers want independence. And the parents want proximity. Sometimes, unless there's a lot of questions. But, but listen. But, but the truth of the matter is we got to fight not to let that drift. Because we can grow up in a home where everybody's strangers. This ain't no motel, homie. Turn off Hulu and come up with, with dad. Well, I want to know you. And sometimes I go upstairs and sometimes they come downstairs because everybody drifts. Does this make sense? For us, drifting is easy. Passing the pride test means there will be times, listen to this, this is going to be crazy, lean into this. You're going to have to apologize. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to change your course. And so we are so good at saying, my life would be better if everybody else changed. It's not me. My family's crazy. I'm the only sane one there is. <laughs> Come on. The idea is nobody is always right. And pride raises its head when it says, I alone am the only one right. Come on. Listen. 
Sometimes you're going to have to apologize. Sometimes you're going to have to repent. Sometimes you're going to have to humble yourself. And can I just tell you this? If it has been a long time since you have humbled yourself, you do. You do. <laughs> and I'm not talking about, come on, I'm not talking about, I'm sorry, guess, whatever. Oh, my God, stupid. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, I feel it. I see it. And if I don't change from this, it's going to hold me back from blessings and opportunity in my life. And so I need to come to you, even though I'm dad, even though I'm mom. I mean, I'm not. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, even though I need to repent, because guess what? I, I blew it. Forgive me. See, here's what the Bible says. Look at this. Look at this. It says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at the first. If not, you will come and your lampstands will be removed from its place unless you repent. Here is the idea. Everybody drifts. And so here's what the Christian life is like. And we've all been in church. If you have been in church for any length of time, you have seen that it's like you're in a, 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 um, a canoe and you're rowing upstream. Culture is saying, go this way. And you are rowing upstream. And, and listen, you've had some victories. You've won some moments. God, you've, come on. There have been moments, but as soon as you take your hands off of the oar, drift and we've all had moments where we had to go come on we were in a church and this person was a life group leader and they were killing it and they were telling us do this and God and, and then you're like man I just look up to you and then 10 years later you see him on Facebook and you're like what happened and this is not to get out the Pharisee stick and whack people I am just trying to let us all know that we are all very prone to quit, to stop, to be discouraged, to be rejected, to be hurt. That is why, listen to this, listen, this is so important. You cannot come to church for people. You have to come to church because you're learning to be a disciple of Christ and the benefit is loving people. But if you come to church for people and how people make you feel, people will make you take your hands off the oar. People are a byproduct. I love y'all. I'm so glad that you're here. Come on, bring it in. Let's hug. Let's do. But I don't row because we're friends. I row because there's a calling on my life. Does that make sense? And I'm doing what God's called me to do. And there is an end price and there's an end goal and there's a crown of life waiting for me. And I am rowing and I am praying that you row with us so that we can have like snacks along the way and share snacks and boats. And hey, what is this? this is awesome. This is great. All right, ready, race. I mean, I, I want to do this with somebody. But really, it's not corporate. We benefit corporately but we row individually. Does this make sense? Come on, help me. Okay. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, I am amazed 
you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which it, it, there's not really another. Only there are some who are disrupting you and want to listen distort the gospel of Christ. Listen, if we're not careful, we are in a world where there is a, another opinion, there's another thought, there's another whatever, and I am for, listen, growing. I'm for being becoming intelligent. We need to be studiers. But Colossian tells us that there is high-sounding nonsense that will distract you, and I have seen people, look at me, run towards purpose, and they're calling and get distracted We drift because we're busy. We drift because we face some type of rejection. We drift because of confusion. We drift, listen, listen. We drift because God is asking us to take another step and we're unwilling to go there. And here's what we learned in the Old Testament. The cloud is moving and if you don't move with it, God is here. You think he used to be here and that's denominations everywhere. Is this true? Which I'm not, I'm not against that. So I'm not hating. I'm just saying when the cloud, you could have grown to this point. But that's where God's going. Here is where you're at. And now you have drifted away from the presence. Because God is the same. He does not change. What does that mean? That he is always moving towards the purpose of God. Always. Come on, does this help? Pride will cause us to reject God's simplicity. Okay, the gospel is simple and deep. When you look at it at face value, you don't think it's complex. But the fact of the matter is, the deeper you go, the more you find that you don't know. And so it's very easy to reject the simplicity because here is the concept of faith, of, of, of the gospel and knowing Jesus. It's all by faith. That doesn't mean that we don't have logic, but it's all by faith. I believe and so this. I believe and so this. And so we grow up. And it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, whatever. People will say, if you want to invite Jesus into your heart. And we go, yeah, I do. And so if we think about it logically, what do we mean? Heart? Do we mean blood pumping organ? What do we mean? What do we, well, you know what we mean. We mean heart. Well, we don't mean heart. We mean soul. What do we mean soul? We don't, we don't even know what we mean. I'm just raising my hand because I want him. Is this true? And so we've reduced the complexity of a step of faith. But the whole thing is about faith. Will you leave your life and follow, listen, me? And will you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I am Lord? Look at the next verse. It says, you have robbed me with tithes and offering. 
God feels robbed. Like that, that, I don't know about you, but that's kind of one of those stingers. It's like, eh? It was like, I, got, I don't know about you. But I, I remember uh, one time I was in high school, and I, come on, I was driving. I had my Chevy Chevette, my red Chevy Chevette awesomeness hatchback. Actually, it was uh, the top uh, worst, uh, top 100 worst vehicles to drive in the U.S., but I had it. It was mine, okay? And so, come on, that was the six by nine. I had my uh, phase two EQ, had my CD face that popped off. Come on. How many of y'all remember the, that was like the coolest thing? You were like, hey, man, what's in your pocket? My CD's face. Just pop it in. So cool. Got done with work one day. Someone jagged me. Wires everywhere. I'm so mad. I was robbed. I felt violated. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, how are you going to rob the red Chevy Chevette? What about the tone that God, you've robbed me? Why would, why would God say that? Because there, the issue wasn't one of stewardship. It was ownership. So, so let me break this down to you. God owns it all. Somebody like, poof. <laughs> God owns it all. He owns it all. And so here's the thing. That does not negate the fact that you've worked hard, studied hard, done well, applied yourself, overcome adversity. We are not minimizing that at all. But do not think that it's like men who are women who play in the WNBA or NBA. This dude is like six foot eight, has like a three foot vertical, and his arm span is like two and a half feet, and he can dunk, and we're like, dang, you're awesome. <laughs> I mean, like if I had that, I, I, I would be like developing that ability. <laughs> what you have been given, you were given by God. And your talent, your ability, the way you organize, the way you see things, the way you think out of the box, the way you're creative, the way all of that, come on, listen, was all given to you by God. And we face so much insecurity in life because we are raised in a home and everybody's different. Everybody's different. And so the kid who makes their bed is like, oh, you're an angel. But the kid that's like, I tried to make my bed. It's so hard. I'm just so creative with my pillows. You can feel like, listen, like you don't measure up. And at an early age, we begin to learn how to compare. And we're identifying where we're not good enough. Because we're looking at everybody else. But here's the deal. When you step into who God has made you and you know that God owns it all, then you are stewarding you. And here's the thing. Everything that God gives you, God never just gave it to you. Listen to what I'm saying. This is a huge concept. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees generations. God is outside of time. He said, I don't change. So you are here, but he is here, here. He's, he's omnipresent. What that means is when God looks at you, he sees everybody else and all the legacy and generations that are coming through you. And when he gives you revelation, it is so that you can turn around and pass it and turn around and pass it. Does this make sense? 
for all of us. Here is God saying, you, you've robbed me with tithes and offerings. Tithe is simply just a tenth of what you receive. Where do we come up with a tithe? Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30, it says, A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's because it is, come on, say it with me, holy. 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 If we were to look at all of the tens in the Bible, you would see one thing reoccurring. There was, that number is not random. God is not like a Fox News, CNN, or CSNBC poll where you're like, well, we have a new poll for you and every poll's different. If God put a number out, there's a reason. If God put a number out, listen to what I'm saying, there is a reason. Now, here's the deal. Abraham and Jacob, God called them to tithe, and this was before the Mosaic Covenant. So a lot of people think, well, that's Old Testament, and that's under the law. It happened before the law was given. Listen, we are under a new covenant, and everything is processed, listen to this, through grace. Everything is processed through grace. But let me just give you a quick Bible lesson. When Jesus began at the Sermon of the Mount to talk about the Ten Commandments, did he make it less or did he make it more? Did he? Here's what he said. You've heard in the law that do not commit adultery, but I say if you even look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Well, here's the law, and here's where Jesus took it to. So the fact that grace means we can do less means we don't really understand grace. Now, God will take your 1% and 2%, and he'll, he'll let you grow into it because that's what God does. God's a good father. Does that make sense? I didn't make Trevor drive at 5. We thought about it. I'm going to let him grow into it. And so if, you're, if you can do 1%, do 1%. But make a commitment like I'm, we're going to make a plan and we're going to do 1% and then we're going to grow and then we're going to adapt and we're going to grow and we're going to adapt and we're going to change our schedule, change our budget. We're going to grow and we're going to adapt. And here's what you will find. You will find that you will do more with the 90 than you ever did with the 100. Because the 90 has been blessed because you gave what was first and you gave what was best. This is, this is good. Come on, help me. For us, it's always a matter of the heart. Look at this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Come on. Food in my house. That's a huge statement. God tells you why we are bringing tithes and offerings into the house so there's food. And can I tell you, there is food in this house. There's lives are being changed at the house. Is people come here and they're they're building life. They're building life. I just got done talking with someone right after the last service, tears in their eyes saying, "Since we have come, here is what's going on in our life. Everything has changed." Many of you that's your story as well. But here's the deal. We don't want to be a two-year part of your story. 
We don't want to be a three-year part of your story. We want to see what God can do in 10 years. We want to see what God can do long-term. Does this make sense? We want to see what God can do. We are making a difference. And because of this church being open, we are making a difference in marriages, young moms, men and women, next generation. This house is full of food. And I am not preaching this sermon because we need to get out of uh, the red. We're doing good. There's money in savings. We're up 17% from last year in our tithe. Last year, I think we had uh, $396,000 come in. This year, it's not even the end of the month, and we're at like 467000 for this year. Come on, that's good. That's good. God's blessing this and growing it. And let me just tell you, because you guys may not know how we manage our budget here. You guys can go ahead and put that up here. For us, the way we run the house is we do 10% giving. We do 35% salaries. We do 35% building. So that is the rent on this facility. You, you know that this ain't free. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, mean, I know you're like, that's great. <laughs> it costs, okay? You know what I'm saying? And so 20% operations. And we try to set our budget at 90% of what came in the previous year. So we're always saving 10%. So there's money in our savings account. We are not desperate. The lights are not almost being turned off. But here's the thing. We have two and a half years left in this building, and I am believing that we have enough to be able to have a place. And so we will either buy land, we will either buy a, a building, we will do something, but we are going to move forward because God has called us to be owners. Does that make sense? And so I just want you to know as we move forward. Now, let me tell you, there is food in this house. I want you to watch this video and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we've done uh, this last year. Okay? Y'all watch this. Years into our marriage, way before we ever decided to move to Arkansas, we um, had always dreamed about living out of the city because Seattle's huge. The idea was brought, like, have you thought about Arkansas? In six months went from maybe we'll move to loading up a trailer with three kids and a cat and nowhere to live. I grew up in the church, but I went through a lot of trauma as a child at the hands of my dad. Didn't trust my dad or really anybody. Church just isn't for us. Church people aren't for us. Going to church isn't for us. It's just, we'll just believe in God at home and that's enough. On a Facebook page, there was a, um, a flyer for a carnival. And at the time, I did not know that it was like anything to do with church. I just thought I was going to take my kids and they were going to have fun and maybe meet some people because we knew nobody here. And then we went to the carnival and Sarah Saragusa kind of sought us out and was like, I saw you on Facebook. You're new. Someone came up and started talking to us. And after about half an hour, she introduced herself and it was Katie. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been to church my entire life and not once have I ever spoken to the pastor or the pastor's wife. My kids, my older kids were had so much fun and they were like, can we go to their church? So we decided to give it a try and that was five months ago. We've not missed a Sunday at the house since. Our oldest son, Grayson, came to me after doing framework and he was like, 
Mom, we have to talk. And so we sat down and we started talking. And during that conversation, he decided that he was going to accept Jesus. It makes me a little bit emotional because I really worried for him for a really long time that he was just never going to believe in God. And so in five months to go from not believing at all to accepting Jesus is just such a, a growth. Sarah seven months ago was sad, I guess you could say. Depressed, like I didn't want to go anywhere. I really enjoyed my alone time. I didn't, and it wasn't anything productive I was doing. I just wanted to be away from people in general. And then, and since coming to the house, it's been, I just love everybody. I don't, everybody is so welcoming and I've never felt so loved. Like coming in and everyone is hugging you and everyone wants to know how you're doing and they actually care. It's been five months. We went from a really small apartment in Washington and not really being happy to here. And we have, we have more community here than the 10 years we had in Washington. And that just came from a whim that just came from making a decision. And then I went through framework, everything just like bubbled up so far that like I had a complete mental breakdown. And that led me to the freedom class. When I read the description, I was like, oh my gosh, I need this class. Like, that is what I need. That is what took me to a place from feeling ashamed and unwanted and unloved to really finding this whole community of people that just absolutely just loves us, just loves my kids, loves me, loves my husband. It's a process and it's going to continue to be a process because there's always something I'm going to need free from. But the weight of the last five months going from who I was to who I am now has been lifted so high. Come on, isn't God good? Come on. There's food in the house, and, and, and we love y'all, and we're glad that God is moving. Come on, y'all give their family a hand. Come on, that's great. At the house, we work hard to turn money into ministry. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.